So welcome back. So as I mentioned, I was had the blessing to be here all day yesterday, sitting in what's called Hermitage Meadow, which is a meadow above the main retreat center, um, where it's beautiful uh, open meadow surrounded by oak trees and bay trees and flanked by two streams. So we had the the sound of a babbling brook on, on either side, very sweet to sit, serenaded by grasshoppers and house finches and red-tailed hawks soaring above. And, um, you know, just lovely to be out on the land, this beautiful land, and to give thanks to this beautiful earth that we live on and to remember the challenges that are happening everywhere and um, to but also to open our hearts to joy and the blessing and the beauty and the sorrow and the grief and the pain all of it we experience a range of experiences if we are awake and so um, I had the good fortune of being accompanied with uh, Jennifer Barazan, who's a friend and teacher and singer and songwriter and beautiful human being. And she chanted and sang with us, for us, um, beautifully. And uh, Naomi Newman was also with us, and she uh, shared a piece from her forthcoming work um, about... I'm uh, not exactly sure entirely what it's about, how she would frame it, but it's about climate change. And she read this, she didn't read, she recited this poem that I hadn't heard before by um, W.S. Moen called Thanks. Anybody know this poem? Beautiful poem. So I'm going to read it. I won't do in any way justice to how she transmitted the potency of this poem, but I will do my best. Listen, with the night falling, we are saying thank you. We are stopping on the bridges to bow from the railings. We are running out of the glass rooms with our mouths full of food to look at the sky and say thank you. We are standing by the water thanking it, standing by the windows looking out in all directions, back from a series of hospitals, back from a mugging. After funerals, we are saying thank you. After the news of the dead, whether or not we knew them, we are saying thank you. Over telephones, we are saying thank you. In doorways and in the backs of cars, in elevators, remembering wars and the police at the door and the beatings on stairs, we are saying thank you. In the banks, we are saying thank you. In the faces of the officials and the rich and of all who will never change, we go on saying thank you, thank you. With the animals dying around us, taking off feelings, we are saying thank you. With the forests falling faster than the minutes of our lives, we are saying thank you. With the words going out like cells of a brain, with the cities growing over us, we are saying thank you, faster and faster. With nobody listening, we are saying thank you, thank you. We are saying and waving, dark though it is.
So that poem, I think, expresses for me beautifully the paradox of the times in which we live. So much to be grateful for, so much to give thanks, so much beauty, so much joy, so much beautiful human spirit. And also, you know, as he writes, the cities are growing over us. The forests are falling faster than the minutes of our lives. Both are true. And our practice, these Dharma teachings, wisdom teachings, are an invitation and a challenge uh, and an encouragement to be present, to wake up, to not go to sleep, to face truth, the beautiful and the ugly, the just and the unjust, and to not just bear witness, but also to respond as well as we can with wisdom, with kindness, with compassion. So yesterday, how many people were aware of Earth Day and did something on behalf of Earth Day, whether just going for a hike or cleaning up trash or... Okay, good, so some of you, great. So the theme of Earth Day was um, around uh, ending plastic pollution, which is a, a, a mammoth, mammoth task. Right? We may not be so aware of it here, but if you go in the oceans and you read the news, and you know, there's a lot of it around. The, I was trying to m- make sense that the, the, the statistic we, all, we may read and we know about some of the overwhelmingly sort of huge numbers of statistics that are depressing, and, but they're hard to get your head around. When I say 12 million metric tons are going into the oceans every year, it doesn't really mean much. It's like, well, that sounds like a lot. <laughs> What's a metric ton? <laughs> And what's 12 million of them? I don't know. It sounds like a lot. Does it fill this room? Is it more than that? I don't know. Probably. But the, the, so I was looking for how do you make, how do you make this tangible? Because right? I mean, if it's not tangible, we don't really take notice. It's just a number, just another depressing number we prefer to ignore. It's the equivalent of one garbage truck. So all the garbage trucks we see in our neighborhoods, full of plastic, compressed, driving up to, let's say, I don't know, Richardson Bay here in Sausalito, or going up the Golden Gate Bridge, reversing and dumping its load. If, if there was a garbage truck dumping its load full of plastic every minute of every day for 365 days of the year, that's how much plastic's going into the ocean. And that's 1,440 garbage trucks every day. That's over half a million garbage trucks pulling up, dumping plastic into the ocean. That's a lot of plastic. So, um, you know, so there's a there's a growing awareness of that. You know, I think 20 years ago, even 10 years ago, there wasn't you know awareness of these huge plastic 
garbage dumps the size, you know, twice the size of Texas, one of them is this plastic sort of floating mass. I read, I was watching this very sad video of uh, an Australian biologist researcher who chronicles what shows up these days in the bellies of ocean birds. 90% of ocean birds have plastic in their bellies that they can't excrete because it's not digestible. And the, the prediction was in 20 years' time, 100% of birds will have some kind of plastic. So I was in England recently and I was very heartened by the government's been very active and proactive around education and trying to do their efforts to wake people up and to um, try and rein in uh, the obscene amount of what's known as single-use plastic. You buy a bottle, drink the water, throw it away, get a plastic knife and fork, throw it away, non-biodegradable plastic ends up in the landfill or the oceans. And um, the, the re- news report I was listening to the day I left was the, saying that there were only 50, despite this massive public awareness campaign, only 50% of the public were aware of sing- what single-use plastic was. But I thought that was pretty good. 50%. I wondered if we did a survey in this country, how many people knew what single-use plastic was. be pretty low, I think. I didn't really know what that term meant until recently. Single-use plastic. All the things that are made that are used once and then thrown out. Right? Look, in, look in your recycle bin. How much of that is single-use plastic? It's hard to live without engaging in that. Right? This is not to make you feel guilty, but just to wake us up. The point of Earth Day is to wake us up to what's happening on this beautiful planet, to not turn away. And if you're grieving or hurting or angry or sad or depressed or despairing, as I sometimes am, with, with what's happening, that's because you have a heart. That's because you love That's because you care. That's because you love this beautiful place we call Earth, call home. It's a natural response of a healthy ecosystem to grieve that which is being lost. When we hear about a species that has gone extinct today, that's tragic. The flag should be forever hung at half-mast because of the extinctions. This is hard to bear witness to. The Buddha said the first noble truth is there is dukkha, there is unsatisfactoriness, there is suffering in this life. And he was mostly talking about personal anguish, but um, we can't separate the personal from the global. And as our lives and as our societies become increasingly intertwined, it's impossible to separate them. And as we widen our sphere, our sense of self, as we soften our skin boundary and realize that the sense of self includes everything and everyone and all beings, 
then when we hear about uh, you know environmental degradation or species suffering, right? it hurt. We feel it. It's real. It's like our family. I always wonder what the Buddha would be doing if he was around today. What would the Buddha be teaching? One of the the deeper threads of the Buddha's teaching is interdependence. He said, this is because that is. With the arising of this, this arises. With the ceasing of that, this ceases. All things are interconnected. And we see that very much today. We're seeing you know, that one of our water bottles that we buy at San Francisco airport because we're told we can't take our water through security ends up uh, under the ice shelf in Antarctica because of the flow of the ocean. Everything is interconnected, maybe in the belly of a penguin. So how do we stay, one of the questions I ask myself and my friends and my fellow activists, how do we stay sustainable? How do we not uh, drown in despair or in sorrow or in grief or depression or rage? It's a good question. Hard, right? If we listen to the news every day, it's not easy to hear of whatever level of the news you hear all the injustices and the... this is a poem from Anna Akhmatova, Russian poet, called Everything is Plundered. It starts bleak, but it gets better. <laughs> Just in case you're wondering where I'm going with this talk. <laughs> Everything is plundered, betrayed, sold. Death's great wing scrapes the air. Misery gnaws to the bone, then why do we not despair? By day cherries blow summer into town. At night the the deep transparent skies glitter with new galaxies. And the miraculous comes so close to the ruined dirty houses, something not known to anyone at all. By day from the surrounding woods, cherries blow summer into town. So with our mindfulness practice, we're asked to pay attention. And there's a lot of things to attend to. And we want to be mindful what it is we're attending to. If we're so overwhelmed with some of the things I just said, some of the news, some of the data that's very depressing about the earth, you might not see the cherries that are blooming right now. Or the plum blossoms, or the spectacular California poppies waving like sunshine, or the, um, the wisteria just you know cascading like like beauty and what else what is what else is blooming you've gotten us wild iris yes on the trails yes what 
Lupins, yes, the lupins, right, dancing, it's fragrant. The roses, rock roses, right? A lot of blooming, blossoming beauty, right? Both are true, right? The oceans are drowning in plastic. There's going to be more plastic in the oceans than fish by weight in 20 years, if it keeps going. And the cherries blow summer into town. And the daffodils wave at us as we hike. And the lupins and the forsythia and whatever else that we happen to see. What are we attending to? Can we attend to all of it? Can we hold it all? The beauty and the sorrow, the joy and the tragedy. It's a poem from Jack Gilbert, part of a poem. It's called A Brief for the Defense. Sorrow, it starts bleak again. (laughs) Don't worry, it gets better. Sorrow bleak. So no, sorrow everywhere. Slaughter everywhere. If babies are not starving someplace, they are starving somewhere else, with flies in their nostrils. But we enjoy our lives because that's what is asked. Otherwise, the mornings before summer dawn would not be made so fine. The Bengal tiger would not be fashioned so miraculously well. The poor women at the fountain are laughing together between the suffering they have known and the awfulness in their future smiling and laughing while somebody in the village is very sick. There is laughter even every day in the terrible streets of Calcutta. If we deny our happiness and resist our satisfaction, we lessen the importance of their deprivation. We must risk delight. We can do without pleasure, but not delight, not enjoyment. We must have the stubbornness to accept our gladness in the ruthless furnace of the world. To make injustice the only measure of our attention is to praise the devil. It's a powerful poem. Sometimes we can feel really guilty because we have, if if you're at Spirit Rock here tonight, you have a lot of blessings in your life. You're one of the 1% for sure. Not maybe economically, but in terms of abundance and safety and beauty and love and community and blessing. And again, not to make oneself feel guilty for that, but to acknowledge there is, there is great blessing, great fortune, good luck, good karma, something that we get to be here practicing in community, in safety, etc., So we're not denying the beauty and the, and the blessing of that. Enjoy that. Pay attention to that. Feel gratitude for that. Give thanks for that every day for what we have. I do a gratitude practice every night. Minimum of three things I'm grateful for. Sometimes the list goes on for a long time, you know. And at the same time, to hold a much bigger reality. Not going to sleep to the beauty, not going to sleep to the immense suffering that's happening right here in this county. Immense suffering, poverty, racism, injustice, etc. 
You know, I often joke that the irony of this practice is we have all these lovely statues and they all look very serene. And one can have the illusion or the impression that that's how one should float through life. Beauty, tragedy, sorrow, despair. Mm-hmm. Right. And maybe some of you do. That's, you know, that's okay if you do. It's not my experience of the, what happens with this practice. What the, for what I experience is the practice is one opens up one's awareness and one's heart and one's body and one feels, one feels both the joy and the delight and the rapture but also the suffering and the despair and the horror and the grief. Right? That's being human, that's being alive. And with that aliveness comes responsiveness, comes wise action, comes caring, comes compassion comes wanting to make a difference. Joanna Macy, who's a beautiful environmental activist, Buddhist teacher, she says the greatest risk to the world ecologically is numbness. When we're numb, because we are either overwhelmed with feeling or we've shut down because the feeling's too much. Numbness is what allows more injustice to happen. And if we're numb, we go to sleep. We need to wake up personally, commonly, collectively. So notice where you numb. Sometimes we're numb because we're taking in too much information. There's only so much depressing news we can take in without going numb. Not helpful, not useful. If you're in that place, go out into the woods. Lie in the grass. Except watch out for the ticks, but you know, kind of (laughs) proverbially lie in the grass, you know. Naomi Shihabnai, in her beautiful poem, Kindness, she says, Before you learn the tender gravity of kindness, you must travel where the Indian in a white poncho lies dead by the side of the road. You must see how this could be you, how he too was someone who journeyed through the night with plans and the simple breath that kept him alive. Before you know kindness as the deepest thing inside, you must know sorrow as the other deepest thing. You must wake up with sorrow. You must speak to it till your voice catches the thread of all sorrows and you see the size of the cloth. And then it's only kindness that makes sense anymore. Only kindness that takes you out into the world to mail letters and purchase bread. We want to turn away from the pain because it's hard to be with pain. But it's the pain that also opens up our heart to caring, to compassion, to acting. So as some of you know, um, as as, um, Christina was saying, I, I do a lot of my work outside. Nature is... I like these temples, but I like the, the outdoor one much better. 
Um, it's the first temple that we that we celebrated and worshipped in, and probably be the last temple we celebrate and worship in. And um, that's where I do most of my meditation practice, where I lead a lot of my retreats and courses and trainings and teacher trainings, and um, and um, it's what I use for giving me solace in these times of ecological crisis. This is from Walt Whitman, who had the blessing of reveling in nature before knowing of its current threat. Climb the mountains and get their good tidings. Nature's peace will flow into you as sunshine flows into trees. The winds will blow their freshness into you and the storms their energy, while cares will drop off you like falling leaves. Climb the mountains, climb the hills, and get their good tidings. So the reason I wanted to do the Earth Day, aside from just honoring Earth Day, was um, my my closet mission in life as a meditation teacher is to um, uh, seduce people into nature, to lure them into the wild so they fall in love and bow down and fall in love again and want to save the whole damn lot basically <laughs> because we protect what we love we care for what we love right those nearest and dearest think about the things that you love right you'll do a lot for the those you love your children your spouses your family right you'll you'll give down your life for some of them So that is true for the earth. There are untold activists and stewards and First Nation peoples who have sacrificed their lives to protect that which they love for themselves, for their communities, for the planet. So so my 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 mission, my my not so closet mission really um, is uh, to to encourage people to go out into nature with a mindful awareness, with a contemplative awareness. Because it's when we suffuse or we integrate this beautiful quality of mindfulness, this ability to be aware, to be present, when we bring that quality to anything, particularly when we bring that outside and we take off our earbuds and stop doing nature and start being in nature and get off our screens and quieten our conversations and slow down enough and take time to be impressed upon, to be sensorily touched, to be opened then we can be moved. We can, we can uh, begin to feel our heart tremoring, quivering in awe and wonder and beauty and love. And it's a beautiful thing, as I'm sure you all know, when you're out sitting by the ocean 
or on top of the, one of these green hills or by a trickling stream or under a beautiful old oak or watching the deer delicately walk through the grasses or the turkeys strutting their stuff. And your heart you know, is quietened, it's soothed, it's caressed, it's moved, is opened. And we feel love, we feel joy, we feel delight, we feel the sacred at times, we feel the divine, how whatever whatever our name is for the sacred, maybe God for some of you, maybe the mystical, silence. And Mary Oliver puts it in this way. She's such an amazing nature poet. She says, Every day I see or hear something that more or less kills me with delight, that leaves me like a needle in the haystack of light. It was what I was born for, to look, to listen, to lose myself inside this soft world with joy and acclamation. Nor am I talking about the exceptional, but the ordinary, the common, the drab, the daily presentations. Oh, good scholar, I say to myself, how could you help but grow wise with but teachings as these, the untrimmable light of the world, the oceans shine, and the prayers that are made out of grasses. How could you help but grow wise with but teachings as these, the untrimmable light of the world, the oceans shine, and the prayers that are made out of grasses. Every day I see or hear something that more or less kills me with delight, that leaves me like a needle in the haystack of light. That's someone who's awake who's present, who's walking into the woods every day and is, you know, an open canvas to be painted on. Beautiful. We can do that. It does require that we close our lids and put our phones away and walk out into the nearest bit of whatever it is, creek, woods, park, hills, forest, Bayside, ocean. Take it in, drink it in. I try to do it every day. I find it it's as almost as essential as ox- oxygen or as water. And nourish the soul. And I feel the sweetness and the tenderness and the beauty which can also evoke the sadness and grief and the loss and the joy and the sadness and the beauty and the terror. All of it. But it's important that we know what allows us to sustain ourselves and to nourish ourselves. So for me, that's nature. I imagine for many of you, that's nature. 
brings us out of our heads into our bodies. I was hiking the other day and I'm pretty sure this, the, the, the air was just suffused with the smell of lupins. Sweet fragrance. Subtle. I also take note of the amazing things that people are doing to protect this beautiful earth that we live on. I mean, it's sort of inc- I'm, I'm sort of incredulous, beyond disbelief, that we don't take care of this earth and our water. That this administration wants to roll back protections against mining companies polluting our water sources. Like, it's incomprehensible. Why would any sane person want to lower the standards of clean drinking water? It doesn't make sense, regardless of what your political affiliation is. It doesn't make sense. Why would we want to lower the air quality standards that are already pretty bad? 96% 96% of the, uh, the people on the earth are inhaling polluted air. I'm just amazed, I'm just curious where the other 4% are living. <laughs> you know, you see those photos of, you know, Shanghai and Beijing and Delhi and, you know, closer to home, you know, the pea soup like London was in the, in the 1800s. It's only going one place, right? And we're all breathing from the same place. I'm amazed we're not all breathing polluted air. The the earth is amazing in that it can still somehow recycle all of the junk that we put into it. It's struggling more and more to do that. But anyhow, my point was I, I heartened by the millions and millions and millions of people, tens of millions, maybe hundreds of millions, who are doing things to protect and sustain farming organically and restoring watersheds and working in nonprofits and NGOs and cleaning up water and um, in you know in green energy industries and you know, just millions and millions of people doing amazing things. Several hundred people yesterday celebrating Earth Day. They, the Earth Day Network said a billion people were involved in some kind of action. I'm not sure if that's true, but a lot of people. It's heartening. Right? There's amazing things happening. I was reading an article of uh, all the species that have come off the endangered species list. In fact, I have a list of some of them. The American alligator, whooping cranes, the bald eagle and the peregrine falcon, the grizzly bear, the American gray wolf, eastern red wolves, the California condor. This happens because people care 
and people take action and enforce legislation and protection. Beautiful. And at the same time, there's things being added to that list. Daily, weekly, annually. I teach these kayaking and meditation retreats in Sea of Cortez in a national park there. And in the last five or ten years there's been a tremendous resurgence in the presence of humpback whales, but particularly blue whales, finback whales, um, sometimes coming quite close to our boats, sometimes really a little too close to our boats, but we don't mind. Um, uh, because there was, they stopped um, shrimp, uh, dredge, fishing, which is an environmental catastrophe. So stop that and the ecosystem regenerates and whales return. So I think it's useful to also notice what's happening in a way that's positive because there's a tremendous, tremendous amount So the Buddha cautioned us. He said, "Um, whatever the mind frequently dwells and ponders upon, that becomes the inclination of the mind and the heart. Whatever the mind frequently dwells and ponders upon. So be mindful of what your mind is pondering on. Is it to the bleak? Or is it Pollyannish? Or is it holding both. And when is it necessary to incline your mind towards the lupins and the iris and the swaying grasses? And when it's healthy to incline your mind to taking in what's happening, however sad it may be. Sometimes when I'm out in nature, as I'm sure some of you do, like going down into the southwest, into the desert. In fact, we were meditating in Baja on this old ocean, this raised piece of land that's a former ocean shelf. So it's very ancient seabed full of layers and layers and layers of probably millions of years of crustaceous life and um, sometimes taking refuge in deep time I think about the redwoods that we can hike in here 260 million years old I read they, they date back that's a long time around with the last mass extinction they'll probably they will live through this current mass extinction gives us perspective. All the ancient canyon walls, I was leading a retreat last year down the Grand Canyon, not down the Grand Canyon, hiking in the Grand Canyon two years ago, going down to the oldest part of the canyon where the rock is 1.1 billion years old. That's a lot of years. And just feeling the immensity of time. And again, sometimes, you know, when we 
take in that vast picture, we look at the night sky and we look at the billions of stars and we see that the, the, the life that's being played out here is just a speck of a grain of sand can help hold, find some equanimity or vastness to hold it, part of a much greater cycle. So one of the things that I've learned from Joanna Macy, when I went to her, we had lunch one day, and I said, "How do you not give up in despair?" She's been an activist for a good forty, fifty years. She started with the Nuclear Guardian project, bearing witness to the nuclear. Uh, Thing, <laughs> catastrophe um, after Three Mile Island and whatnot, and um, you know, being on the front lines, went to Chernobyl, and um, you know, involved in a lot of grassroots actions, many of which have not succeeded. You know, many great environmental campaigns have failed. It's just part of where we are. Many great campaigns have succeeded also. And I said, how do you not give up in despair? What advice do you have for someone who's despairing at the state of the world? And she said, you have to be engaged and you have to be engaged with others. Do something. Doesn't matter if you succeed, doesn't matter if you win, it's important that you engage and you do it with us. You don't act alone. Being alone, the burden's so much greater. When we're with others, as we are here, we come together here, right? There's a, you know, if, if, if we all just, you know, send out an email saying, okay, Monday night, Spirit Rock, we're just going to meditate at home at the same time, right? Set your watch, 7.15, meditate for half an hour, and, right? Wouldn't be the same, would it? That's why we come together. Something powerful about coming together. Not wanting to d- dismiss the people sitting at home watching alone because that's a beautiful, powerful thing. May you... <laughs> You're with us also in time-space continuum is just an illusion. We're all here. But there's something powerful about gathering, feeling the collective commonality, the shared intention, shared values. You know, when we sort of despair at the unconsciousness that we can experience and then we come together with people who are trying to be more conscious, as unconscious as we are (laughs) trying to be conscious, it gives a sense of hope or spirit or possibility or confidence or strength or capacity or inspiration, love. So it's important to engage, to find some place. You know, most of my 
activism is supporting activists. I, I do a lot of work, have done a lot of work supporting environmental activists. And I think of my nature work of enticing people out to fall in love as a form of activism. And then hopefully those people become stewards and get engaged, be more conscious. There's a wonderful organization that birthed out of some teacher meetings we had here called One Earth Sangha. And they do various trainings online, eco-sat for trainings and other programs to help wake the Dharma world up to what's happening ecologically. I was chatting with Jennifer yesterday um, and we were sort of lamenting the, the state of the world and she said, you know, if just one of these billionaires, one of these billionaires could fund the cleanup of the oceans, we could make a big difference like if Bezos or whatever his name is or Gates or, you know, you know just dropped 50 billion which is, you know, just some of what they're worth. That would make a big difference. So I started Googling today what billionaires are doing. For cl- there is one billionaire who's, who's pretty much thrown all his money at it. Um, Mayer, I think his name is. Mayer? M-A-Y-E-R, yeah. Tom Mayer. Um, and, you know, and there's been very, you know, during the climate, uh, Paris Climate Summit, there was a group of nine <laughs> billionaires, Gates and Buffett and others, who were forming uh, funds to support... Um, sustainable um, solutions. I just wish they'd throw a few more billion at it. Because <laughs> collectively, you know, you had ten guys in the room, there's three, four hundred billion right there. That would take us a long way to solving climate change. So if you happen to know any billionaires, because you might, because there's plenty around the Bay Area, Just saying, <laughs> do your best. <laughs> you know, we can do a lot with our resources. And pay attention to your plastic usage, right? So mindfulness is about paying attention on all levels, including what we do and what we use. Like, I mean, and it's, and it's often left with a hopeless predicament. You know, maybe I, sometimes I'm flying and I'm you know, on the plane and I'm starving and all there is is a bunch of junk in junk plastic. And I ask for a fork and it comes in a plastic bag. Whoever thought we needed plastic bags to put the four plastic forks in? Who thought of that? Or a plastic bag to put the straw in? Some countries are banning straws bags and slowly slowly we're waking up you know okay a couple of things and then I'll um, this is from uh, this is written a little while ago and it gives me a little perspective. All parts of the earth are built over, 
trampled, always, they always start kind of bleak, full of commerce, farms and fields drive back the forest. Even rocks are cultivated. Swamps are drained and today's towns outnumber yesterday's houses. Everywhere on earth are residences, peoples, governments, and human growth now so clogs the world that it can barely support us. And as our needs increase, we struggle with each other for them and nature fails us. Terulian. 150 AD. That's almost 2,000 years ago. Isn't that wild? Right? I mean, slightly different now. There's a few more residences and commerce and, and uh, towns than there were in peoples. But these are not the first time we faced such challenges. It won't be the last. Human beings have an amazing capacity to rise and change. That's another story. This is um, a very sweet story from France. It's called The Acorn Planet. It's a beautiful little book that you might check out. In the 1930s, a young traveler was exploring the French Alps he came upon a vast stretch of barren land. It was desolate and forbidding. It was ugly, the kind of place you hurry away from. Then suddenly the young traveler stopped dead in his tracks. In the middle of this vast wasteland was a bent-over old man. On his back was a sack of acorns. In his hand was a four-foot length of iron pipe. The man was using the iron pipe to punch holes in the ground. Then from the sack he was carrying, he would grab an acorn and put it in the hole. Later, the old man talked with the traveler and told him, I planted over 100,000 acorns. Perhaps only a tenth of them will grow. The old man's wife and son had died, and this was how he chose to spend his final years. I want to do something useful, he said. 25 years later, the now not-as-young traveler returned to the same desolate area. What he saw amazed him. He could not believe his eyes. The land was covered with a beautiful forest two miles wide and five miles long. Birds sang, animals played in the forest, and wildflowers perfumed the air. The traveler stood there recalling the desolation that once was, all because an old man cared. It's a beautiful story. We can make a difference. We tend to think we can't make a difference, but we do make a difference. Small, large ways... So I would like to propose that we make every day Earth Day. (laughs) And that we take a moment or longer each day to acknowledge the beauty of this land that sustains us, supports us, nourishes us, inspires us. Give gratitude. And hopefully take time to, to be in it in small or large ways to enjoy it. So we have a little time for comments or questions. Um, So there's a couple of mics back here. And uh, I'm particularly interested in hearing from you how you hold a sense of optimism or inspiration how you hold the, you know, this is heavy 
heavy subject. Yes, please, at the front here, and then Lady in Grey here in the second row. Do you want to do you want to bring that to, to the Lady in the second? One, two, three. How it worked? Like that. You've got to hold it close. Hello. <laughs> um, you know, a long time ago, I read a book, and it mentioned that. <laughs> Once people become mindful, once people become conscious, that, that's kind of the number one thing that people need to do. Things will begin to heal. The earth will begin to heal. Things will come out of nowhere that you wouldn't expect anything to come from, in, from that. And, and the earth will begin to heal itself. We'll begin to heal it by healing ourselves. So every time I get really overwhelmed at just the insanity of it all, I remember that, mm-hmm. thankfully. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I don't think mindfulness is enough. Well, I agree. <laughs> I think it takes more than that, but I think yes. that, you know, when you're, it's kind of overwhelming when you think of all the things that need to be done. It is. And, and, um, I really watch for plastics. I hardly ever use plastics. Most of the stuff in my recycling is cardboard. Um, but uh, it, it, it is. almost seems overwhelming. The problem seems overwhelming at times. For and sure. when it does, for sure. I mean, that's the only little thing I can kind of hold out and go, okay. Maybe this is, I mean, this is what I've been doing for so many years of my life is becoming more and more conscious. And if people aren't really conscious, they're not going to be really aware of the environment that much anyway. Of course, of course. So that's, I think, one of the main um, aspects of that is the more people become conscious and aware and loving, the more they're going to be conscious of their environment. Yeah, for sure. And there needs to be a step from the awareness to, you know, in the same way in the context of the teaching, mindfulness supports wise action. And in the same way, uh, mindfulness in the world also supports wise action, which also means living more sustainably, ecologically, etc. Thank you. Yes, please. Oh, yeah. Hello. Hi. Hi. Um, so... I kind of have a question, but also to kind of a comment. Um, I, I, well, I'm, I live in San Rafael, and I walk to work every day. And it's more of a suburban kind of area, so not, you know, nature, nature. But one thing that I actually saw today was there was three or four trees that were cut down to the base. And there was new growth happening mm-hmm. despite the attempt to cut mm-hmm. down the tree. Mm-hmm. And it kind of just made me think, like, nature will continue, mm-hmm. and it will overcome Mm-hmm. We might not be here, sorry, mm-hmm. but it, you know mm-hmm. it will. And, and I saw beauty in that, mm-hmm. and it gave me hope. Yeah. But I guess my question kind of goes with that. You know, I am moving to an area that maybe is more like a concrete jung- jungle, mm-hmm. and I won't be in the beauty anymore. So, mm-hmm. can you find peace with nature in something that maybe isn't as natural or beautiful? Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Because nature's everywhere, and um, even if it's even if all you have is the sky, right, there's always a sky. There's always clouds. There's always wind. There's light. There's even stars and moon. Even I mean, I 
I started my practice in the East End of London, very, very um, gritty, run-down, concrete. And I made it a practice to notice the tenacious trees and the, the, the pigeons or whatever it was that was surviving, you know, in the smog. And, um, you know, the, the grasses in the sidewalks and... Um, yeah, there's a lot of nature to be had, even in the city. You just have to be attuned to it. You know, see the, the the cities happening in the space of the sky, really. Yeah, just like our crazy thoughts are happening in the space of our awareness. Yeah, and then also, you know, you're not going to be that far, probably. Where are you moving to? Southern California. We were just talking. Southern California. Places in Southern California. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah, and then just make sure you get up, you know, to the hills, you know, and the woodlands, and, you know, there's plenty of beautiful nature down there, too. You have to drive a little far to it, fortunately, but, yeah, yeah. And grow a garden. Yeah, yeah. Thanks. Yes? I'm here tonight because of Joanna Macy. Hmm. Uh, she was doing a talk at Spirit Rock when the old building was up. And um, I came from a sailing trip, snorkeling, in the outer Exumas off the Caribbean. And it was diving in a graveyard. Mm. It was white. Mm-hmm. Fish looked really sick. And um, coming out of the water, talking with the people I was with, one was a sea captain, professional. And we were analyzing what was going on and how we could do things. And there was a woman sitting next to us, and she said, what is wrong with you? Can't you just let it in? And, and with that, I started sobbing and deep, racking, sobbing. And I came home, and Monday night class, and there was Joanna Macy talking right here. And she was saying, it's both and. Yes, mindfulness, but you got to be engaged. Mm-hmm. And the thing that got to me was she said, don't do it for the cause. Do it for yourself and what you love doing. Mm-hmm. And that saved me. Mm-hmm. So what I'm doing now is I feel it, and I feel it's worth it. And it is overwhelming, and I am in despair from time to time. Mm-hmm. But I have to wear a lot. Mm-hmm. So thanks for what you're doing, too. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, and I think that's beautiful what the woman told you and that what you did, which was just to feel, just to grieve and to sob and to let the pain and the despair in because that's really a big part of it. And out of that often comes our genuine motivation, our movement, our caring, passion. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I went snorkeling in Koh Tao, beautiful. I went diving there 30 years ago. Diving there this year. I mean, admittedly, it was stormy weather, so it was hard to really compare, but it was like diving in a graveyard. And it was very, very, very sad. Multiple reasons, not just climate, also ecotourism, ironically. Uh, and, you know, 83 dive schools on one island. You're going to have some impact on the coral on the island, small island. So, um, yeah, that's one of the ironies 
that we live in. I was very aware as I was on teaching this, these two silent retreats in in uh, in um, Mexico, and um, you know, just you know, aware of this, this the, the, the complexity of each issue that we're involved in. So, so because of the Japanese shrimp trawl fishing boats decimated krill that was banned krill returns blue whales return abundant whale population ecotourism grows sitting on the beach on this point rocky point overlooking this just vast ocean mountains gorgeous 20 or 30 whale watching boats leaving the dock in the town at 6 a.m. and some of them fishing there's a lot of sports fishing then some of them whale watching and I'm thinking poor bloody whales you know I mean it's wonderful that we love and care about the whales and we're also deafening them with our with our you know hunting them you know in our in our search you know and I've also done a whale watching tour. It's not like I'm immune from that. Like you know, it's profound to be close to a whale, and it's just it's just very complex and interconnected and subtle, and and it requires that we be awake and be present and, and be curious and be responsive and listen and learn and grieve and laugh and cry and. So I'm going to close with a poem. Uh, I wish I had more time, but I want to make sure you get out on time. From Diane Ackerman, one of my favorite nature poems, called School Prayer. don't know why it's called School Prayer, but anyhow. In the name of daybreak and the eyelids of morning and the wayfaring moon and the night when it departs, I swear I will not dishonor my soul with hatred, but offer myself humbly as a guardian of nature, a healer of misery, a messenger of wonder, and an architect of peace. In the name of the sun and its mirrors and the day that embraces it and the cloud veils drawn over it and the uttermost night and the male and the female and the plants bursting with seed and the crowning seasons of firefly and apple, I will honor all life wherever and in whatever form it may dwell on earth my home and in the mansions of the stars. So thank you, friends. Very nice to be with you all. May we all keep celebrating Earth Day every day. Um, I have one announcement, which is um, I have some information on the back table, as Christina mentioned, and the thing that I want to alert your attention to, uh, maybe a few of you who are interested in this, I am um, starting to train people to lead my meditation in nature work. I have a year-long teacher training coming up starting in May in a few weeks and if any of you were inspired to uh, share the good news of this work you might want to check that out all right thank you be well thank you for listening to learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.